da 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 You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. All right, ma'am, fam, it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood Talk here on the Mad About Movies podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Kent Garrison, back for another week of Movie Talk with my co-hosts, Brian and Richard. And for this review, we are joined by a special guest and friend of the show again, Ellen. Hey, what's up, Ellen? Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. We are excited to have you, and we're excited to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the ninth film from director Quentin Tarantino. Um, rumored to be possibly the last movie. We're going to get into all of that uh, tonight. Um, we're excited about this. Uh, we've talked a lot about Tarantino in the past, about his, his films. The first epi- episode of the show we did um, was Django. Uh, our review of Django back uh, in yeah. 2012 slash 13 and um, excited uh, again to dive into his filmography again here. But uh, let's start things off uh, right now with a little bit of retrospective talk. Um, Tarantino thoughts, uh, you know, going into this movie, expectations, all of that. Um, we all anticipate these movies just because uh, you know, there's very few films personally that we go see every year you know we go see movies every single week for the show sometimes for personal reasons as well and uh very few times actually feel like cinematic experiences very feel like more than just a marketing gimmick thrown onto a screen um but i think i you know i speak for myself when i feel a little bit different when i go see one of his movies just in terms of the expectation level um, you, you get a little bit more of that classic Hollywood feel with, uh, with a Tarantino movie and, uh, he's had his share of controversy in the past. Let's not, uh, mistake that in terms of the subject matter. But, um, I think a lot of people, at least in the cinematic, uh, community, uh, can respect what he does. I don't think he has a rotten movie on, uh, the tomatoes in his filmography. So I think a lot of people can see around some of that stuff, um, the cutting edge uh, or edgy stuff that he likes to do. But uh, I'll throw it to Richard to start things off. Uh, talk to me about your anticipation for this. I know you had it in the movie draft and uh, just uh, your thoughts going into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we've done this show now. It seems like half our lives uh, since 2013. As you mentioned, the first episode was was Django in in and less less so brian i think is the highest on this spectrum and i'm definitely least and ken is somewhere in between uh there are i i I really enjoy doing this show i really like seeing it's kind of fun to see every movie you know and and to and to see most things that come out and to be sort of um you know fluent in the language of like modern culture that's really great however uh, if I if I didn't do this show, there are very few movies I would see every year. I would see a lot of stuff on streaming or whatever I like to, but I don't really, you know, I, I think maybe two to three movies a year, some years less, some years more, would I be like appointment viewing, I'm going and seeing this because it has to be seen in a movie theater and I'm excited to see it. And, uh, you know, faults and all, of which there are, are considerably troubling ones sometimes, uh, with Tarantino, he is on that list for me. It's like, okay, it's I'm there. It's always kind of always been that way for me. I mean, I was young when Pulp Fiction came out, but but I saw the Kill Bill movies in the in the theaters in high school, 
And ever since then, it's like, all right. I mean, I remember, I remember who I was with when I saw Ingorious. I remember who I was with when I saw Django. I remember seeing Hateful Eight on the road show. I remember, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they seem like events to me. And so a lot of anticipation, obviously an incredible cast, a cool, uh, a really kind of, I mean, troubling time to spend some time in, but a cool era to spend some time in. Um, I'm not going to use any of the annoying language that everybody reviewing this movie has used. Uh, which require which uh, I'm not even gonna say it. Which just has to do with Content? written. No, it's oh. worse. Oh, okay. It's it's. Uh, I'm trying to say, never mind. It's not it's not profane or anything. I'm just I'm just so tired of everyone. I'll just say it. I'm so tired of everyone saying this is a love letter to Hollywood, sixties Hollywood. <laughs> I'm smart. Did you know? Did you know that I'm smart? I noticed this. Did you notice that it's a love letter? Mm. Um. So <laughs> without going down, but it is fun to like live in that world of of classic. Hollywood and uh, such a fun and uh, and you know when LA was like I was just there a couple weeks ago like when it was and, and apologies to me, uh, we have a substantial amount of listeners there but when it was like livable <laughs> to be yeah. out there and was like a town not I mean it's great it's I love LA wow it's just a, I mean just I mean it was it's just so packed now it was just like a time when it was like a city that like regular people could live in and then it was like it was adjacent to Hollywood now it's just you know so packed it's and industrialized it's just so everything you know and it's still beautiful and it's still cool and it's all that but it was like never cooler than it was for this uh few year period it's like it was this dip in new york new york really kind of sucked it was scary from like you know the mid 60s to i don't know uh <laughs> giuliani <laughs> no it had peaks and valleys there i think the 80s are pretty good for new york i'm kidding but and L.A. like really thrived during this time. And then they kind of went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That's the two. Man, if money wasn't an option, that's where I'd want to be. So it's just such a cool um, place to spend time during that period. And it's just and it's cool that it's all practical and like, hey, it's built that that is built out of plaster or that is a car. He's actually driving on that street. It's not all CGI. And we always talk about this and I'm probably susceptible to it as anyone. It's really fun when movie stars are movie stars and that happens less and less because they put on the Cape or they do whatever and they don't just and the, the, uh, the quality of whatever they're doing doesn't allow them to just operate as movie stars. So it's, it's a real treat when, you know, Brad Pitt just gets the Brad Pitt around and Leo gets to, you know, have some really Tarantino loves doing that i think that he does it for great actors and he does it sometimes for like comeback actors too he really like just puts the camera on them and lets them just be a star and especially travolta brian for you and so <laughs> uh no but i think that's fun i mean that's that's awesome and then the cinematography i mean since inglorious um i think his cinematography has gone up 10 low i know he has a new cinematographer i mean just the way these are shot you're just mm-hmm. like holy cow this is so i'm honored to like be in a theater watching this on 35 millimeter, just aesthetically like this just looks so killer. And then you add his dialogue and all that. It's just it for me, it's a, it's a blast and it's conflicting and it's all the things it is, but all of it sadly makes it more of a blast. It's like more, more mm-hmm. interesting. You know, I'm, I'm thinking the whole time about the context of it and everything. And it's like, you know, I don't is as much fun as end game is. You don't really like think like that during it. And it's a really kind of rare experience to have that um, in the theater. So I've I've gone on far too long. So so Brian and and Ellen, I, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, Brian. Yeah, this yeah this is a 
Tarantino, you're 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 both right. It's a he's done a, a incredible job of I don't want to say marketing and branding himself because I don't think that's really what he's doing. But it's it's almost like a byproduct of his very eccentric, prolonged process to make a movie. He's kind he ha, he's he's done a great job of turning that into an event and a and a must see sort of almost like I don't want to say water cooler type movie because this made like forty million, which is you know is nothing compared to right. what a lot of movies make in a given year, you know, on opening weekend or whatever. But it's it's there's a there's a cultural conversation yeah, that goes totally. with a Tarantino movie that just doesn't exist with ninety nine percent of directors. I mean, it it just doesn't. Totally. He has a popcorn that appeal that yes. other that Paul Thomas Anderson doesn't have. Absolutely, or yes, he, you know, other people of equal kind of talent, right? Right. He kind of his movies don't do this, but he himself kind of bridges the gap in a way between. Yeah, he's a star in a weird. Yeah, way. he he's he's his own movie star in a way, and and it's it's like that's yeah, weird. He's he he's a I don't know. You have the the Spielberg and the Russos and, and that those types of directors now. And then you have, I don't know, like more, uh, the, 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 this, the guys that do more festival type mm -hmm. movies. And, and sure. he kind of sits in the between those because he makes festival movies for the, right. this is much less. So I think, and we'll talk about yeah. that in a bit, but, but his overall filmography is much more, I think geared towards the the kind of the festival indie circuit than it is the the blockbuster summer movie kind of side of things, and yet you don't have cultural conversations about totally. David Lowry or Jim Jarmusch right. or, or somebody like that. That's just you, you not know, what happens. Know, you know what the interesting thing about him is? I think I mean it's more complicated than this, but it can be summed up with this. And I I, I promise I'll shut up. You know what the difference is between his films and a lot of those others? It's it's really a simple. Th they're funny, like yeah, they are sure. actually. You know, even when they're scary and abhorrent and troubling and all and dramatic and all the things, they're always funny for at least mm -hmm. twenty percent of them, and it just feels joyful to go see them because of that. Even amongst all the carnage, yeah. you know you're gonna laugh like eight times, like really well, like better than most comedy. They're gonna be like eight really good laughs in it. Right. And then so it's like it feels more like popcorn entertainment. I really think it. I mean, that and a few other things, I think. But that's a really big one. Yeah. No, I think that definitely that definitely plays a huge part in it. But, but yeah, he's he's made these movies into I, 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 I'm sure I've said before, if not Inglorious, then maybe Django or something. And we're going to talk. Uh, we'll uh, we'll do Pulp Fiction later this year in in the VIP. But I don't always love the finished product of his movies. Um. Because there always seemed, early on especially, there always was a point at which I felt like I was like, okay, and this is my stop. I'm going to go ahead and get off the train. And the 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 last uh, fourth of this movie is just not for me, you know. And I'm and and I'm okay with that because I always enjoy the lead up to that point. I feel like the last decade, it's it's partly me. It's partly that that I've gotten older, that I've matured as a human being. It. I also think it's partly him. I think he has matured as a filmmaker from his from that first decade, pulp fiction perhaps aside. But Inglorious, Django, Hateful Eight to some degree, and then and then Hollywood have a little bit more of a polish to them than I think 
Kill Bill and uh, Reservoir Dogs and 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 uh, Death Proof and whatnot, and he and even to some degree Pulp Fiction. I, I'm rambling at this point too, but I I think Sense and Glorious, if maybe between just on a personal level between I'm between myself and Quentin Tarantino, which is very important to him, I'm sure. Um, I feel like we've gotten on the same page, and I much. I appreciate three of these, the last four movies that he's done much, much more than I did the previous sum of his, of his accomplishment and of his work. This to me was his, certainly his most accessible film. And we'll get more into that. But I think since Inglorious, there's been a bit of a shift with his, I keep, I don't know. I'm going to, I guess I'm going to keep calling it maturity, but his maturity as a filmmaker has improved or grown or he's, gotten out of some of the bad habits i think that he that were on exhibit in some of the the previous films and i i love it it just feels like all that to say i feel like over the last the last few films i've gotten to a place where i'm like gosh i it's not just that i'm seeing this because it's a quentin tarantino movie i'm also seeing it because i really love watching this guy make movies that are wholly different and unique from just about anything else that's taking place in in any branch of of uh of of the movie making tree you know whether it's the the indie side or the filmmaking side it's it's he's his own thing and i i don't know it's just i i just want to be there to see what he's gonna do and this was obviously uh no exception but uh very very long winded way to to get through it's that. Fitting, but, uh, we both went long. <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's it's, it's a it's tribute in a way. Kind of bleeds over a little bit. So, but Ellen, please uh, tell us about your your Tarantino experience and and background and whatnot. Um. Yeah. So, I would say Tarantino was, I think, the first director that I was aware of the director as I was watching the movie. Mm. I remember watching kill bill in high school and just being like i'm having a really different experience like watching this than i am like other movies um and it just kind of like i became aware of like there's things uh, i mean i just was suddenly like aware of like the director behind this and like he has a very distinct voice you know i kind of lived my life being like most movies are the same but this one was really different. So it kind of like piqued my interest of being like, who is this director? And like, you know, learning a little bit more about his filmography. And um, there's definitely been ups and downs of learning about Tarantino and learning about behind the scenes stuff. And then another movie comes out and I love it. And I'm like, but I don't know how I feel. And <laughs> I definitely still feel that way. Um, which, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if you, if y'all want to talk about that or not. because I mean, an endless loop of, <laughs> <laughs> of, but you know, like, is he, is he mean or like abusive towards his actresses, but then they still like, like him and want to work with him again. And I don't know how to feel, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I remember seeing, uh, glorious and Django and hateful eight on the theaters. And like, I've never had a bad theater experience and I've always just like, really enjoyed myself and enjoyed just kind of stepping into his mind. And I like that about a director who like very much puts themselves into the work, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's good or bad. Um, Sometimes just, literally with a bad Australian accent, but yes, I see your point. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, so that's kind of like my history of just like being a fan and not being a fan and then being a fan again, <laughs> you know, kind yeah. of yeah. the the journey we all take of the more we learn about him. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely really had a good time in the theater. I went uh, and saw it in 35 millimeter, which was like the second I was like, oh, they're showing it in 35 millimeter at Draft House. I have to go and just, you know, that's mm. the way he wants it to be seen. And it was, um, I was very much into a lot of the Hollywood stuff. Um, uh, I definitely have, you know, my a few criticisms of the movie, but which we can get into. But I am, um, yeah, I uh, Tarantino is an interesting, interesting director to say the least. But uh, yeah, I think y'all pretty much covered it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very good thoughts all around from from everybody. I could just listen to you guys talk, but um, really appreciate uh, all those thoughts. Um, man, this one was this one was certainly uh, a fun experience. I went and saw this one in thirty five millimeter as well. Um, I think Tarantino just understands the experience of going and seeing a movie maybe better than anybody. His attention to detail totally agree. Yeah. of of the things he puts on the screen that no other director thinks about doing uh, is all part of it. I mean, just the intro uh, of this movie, uh, and one of the great things I think, I guess, about seeing 35mm is that there were no trailers. So lights went out. The you know projector turned on, and you see the old vintage logo, and hear the music, and you just know that you're, it's different. It feels it feels like um like something different. I mean, he's one of the the last auteurs that we have. I feel like a uh, true American artist uh, making films with an actual creative vision and voice that's distinctive and recognizable. Um, I'd put Wes Anderson into that category. I'd put the Coen Brothers to an extent in that category. Um, and, you know, it's just not something we get often. Um, and so when we get it, it's something to celebrate. And I think this one certainly had the most star power of probably any Tarantino movie um, that's ever come out <laughs> um, in terms of, like, worldwide stars. Um, I think that's probably why it uh, did did the best. I think this did the best opening weekend of Tarantino's career. Um, it, it is probably the most accessible movie. You're right, Brian, that he's, that he's done. You know, a lot of people were curious about how he would go about the, the, uh, the subject matter of the Manson family and all that. I mean, I certainly was curious about that given the trailers and given Tarantino's past films. So this one had a lot, uh, going for it and a lot that intrigued me, uh, you know, when I went in. But uh, you know, I don't think anything quite compares to the the experience of going down, going in there and seeing the. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this. Did you see on the app where if you clicked thirty five, uh, if you click thirty five, it would uh, show like a description of light going through a tunnel or, or, or light not a tunnel. It says like light projected through film uh, shows a picture. That's the, what 35 millimeter projection means. Like they actually have to explain that to people now if they didn't mm -hmm. know what that was well, funny, but like the little descriptor on there literally said like, like what the definition of film, it's like light projected through film onto a screen. <laughs> like it was like, okay, that that's basically a movie. Yeah. That's, that's what I want. Um, <laughs> I heard a guy. I heard a guy asking somebody who worked at Draft House on their way out. They're like, "So, what does this mean? What was the difference?" And I was like, "Wow, oh 
and he was yeah. much older than me. I was like, okay. He's like, yeah, we're using a projector to project the movie. Uh, it, it, it is a different thing. Most people don't. Going too. Yeah, it was it was certainly noticeable uh, in my screen. Uh, you know, I think Tarantino does a lot of stuff. You know, he edit, he edits in the Avid. He doesn't cut the film together like he would normally do if you were editing with film, like the in the seventies or something. So he edits on a computer, and then they you know they transfer all the data basically from negatives back to the computer, back to negatives, and and so on. So I think some of the stuff like the effects of the grain and things like that, that you would probably still get uh, in a digital projection. Um, so if any of our listeners saw in digital and still noticed some of that stuff, let, let me know. But um, I, you know, this is the first movie I'd seen projected on the film and, and I can't remember how long, probably since hateful eight. It, um, yeah. And uh, it's, it's a, it's a noticeable thing. And I think uh, with, with the advent of Netflix and the convenience of on demand and, and staying at home, that these types of things are going to be what uh, what really bring people to the theaters. And, um, you know, we like to give Tarantino a lot of crap for being as a stickler as he is about shooting on film and not projecting on digital and all this stuff if he can help it. But I totally get it. I totally understand because there is a quality to that. You know, um, I think this movie, to Richard's point, looked fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. This might be his best looking movie that he's ever done. I think Pulp Fiction is probably his best, most well shot movie in terms of, you know, uh, blocking the scene and camp- camera placement, things like that. But I think this movie just looks gorgeous. Uh, you know, the color saturation is great. Um, you know, the city looks romantic again. Um, it's it's certainly a classic feel from from you know frame one to the last frame and this is a long one um this is a two hour and what 40 minute a, a movie something like that yeah uh yeah. so it was uh it was one that i had to kind of sit back and and accept you know that you're in for the ride but man it was a ride i just freaking love tarantino's use of actors i don't think i think he has the, the best vision for actors and who should play what role better than any, you know, more, more than any director out there. Uh, he was on Jimmy Kimmel in the lead up to this. I think he stopped there like as he was going to the premiere or something he was on his talks. Yeah, he did. And he said that no actor has ever turned him down <laughs> in his career. Like no actor that he's <laughs> ever pursued and said, and he said, I want you for this role has ever said, no, I'm good. He said there's been times where, like, I can't work this out because I'm doing another movie, but no actor has ever said, I'm not feeling this. And that's got to be a pretty awesome feeling, uh, you know, to be able to get whoever you want. And the the team-up of Brad and Leo, I mean, we need, we need to, like, spin this off and do a trilogy. Gosh. Like, the, the Rick Dalton-Cliff Booth trilogy needs to, <laughs> needs to happen because it's, like, freaking uh, – you know, I guess Leo's like Bojack Horseman basically in this movie, you know, like failed. <laughs> and Brad's Todd, you know. Uh, yeah. But, uh, it, I, comp. The, I hadn't thought about that. That's a good comp. I love this the premise of the bounty law, the out of work guy. Um, you know, Tarantino's knowledge of those shows is fascinating. The inclusion of those yeah. and how he's able he's to weave those in everything there. ever. It's crazy. Yeah. He retains so much. God, his brains. I wish I yeah. had that kind of retention. The ability to keep it original, but also familiar is, 
is is amazing too. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is that pairing was incredible, and it got. I mean, my wife has never seen a Tarantino movie. She's not a big movie. We've talked about this before. She she doesn't watch a ton of the movies that we go to see, and uh, it, you know she's not she doesn't care. She's not missing anything, and and it's all good. I was planning on seeing this by myself, like I do probably. 70 or 80 percent of the movies that we review and she was like oh no i think i want to see that and i was like do you know who directed this and what the deal and she so i she's never seen a tarantino movie but it's got brad pitt and leonardo dicaprio i mean it's got like the two of the i don't know five remaining movie stars in the world you know and the marketing for it was incredible and that did not so i tried to with my wife at least i tried to kind of give her like a a disclaimer almost or prep her for like what the movie was likely to be just given what I know on, on Quentin Tarantino, but it full on delivered on the premise of those trailers. Like it, that wasn't a situation where you, um, you know, you're, you're trying to cut a trailer that'll get people to come to the theater, whether or not the movie is actually, you know, similar to the, the trailer, which we see sometimes which is like, that had nothing to do with what the trailer framed it as. This full-on delivered on that premise and also was a Tarantino movie, you know? And sometimes there's – sometimes that intersection wasn't completely, totally smooth, but there was no disappointment on any side of that, I think. And, you know, I don't know how well you pull that off if, A, Quentin Tarantino is not behind the camera, and, B, you don't have those two movie stars to make that work, right? Like, it doesn't yeah. – this doesn't work with, I you know, even somebody like I. No one loves Ryan Gosling as much as I love Ryan Gosling. I don't think this works with Ryan Gosling. It's got to be DiCaprio and and Pitt. Like that's just there's one exception in either role. I think that it works. Dag, do you think? No, Dag would be great. I, I want to <laughs> see if Brian can guess it because uh, I actually Clooney. I think, I'm not sure. Clooney, maybe. I, no, yeah. close. I think Matt Damon pulls it off. Okay, sure, sure. Damon's That's the only person well. I was watching yeah. that because you're just like, if one of these had turned him down, because even Tar- to your point, Kent, he said no one to ever turn him down, but he said he was nervous. He didn't think he could get both of them. And I'm like, I bet Matt Damon was his backup for that. Sure. Because that would have sure. been, he, you know, he kind of looks oddly more like Pitt and Leo in a weird way. <laughs> he would have been like <laughs> mm-hmm. more believable as a stunt double, oddly. But, but they're right. obviously they were perfect. But that's the only other, I was thinking about that a lot. Sorry. It's the only other person I feel like that could have maybe pulled this off to this level because he's so yeah. funny too. Sure. Is there, yeah, no, it's good. Is there, uh, anything? I, I don't know. I, to your point, Brian, about it, li- you know, living up to the expectation of the trailer. Uh, you know, I actually thought the trailer was a swerve, like you said, to bring people in. And then what they were actually going to get was a Tarantino movie, right? That starred Brad Pitt and Leo and it got really violent and gory and everyone walks out being like, that was not what I expected from the trailer. Um, so that, you know, I expected it to be different than what it actually was. And I'm not complaining about that. It just, I kept waiting for, for it to just get crazy and it gets, it, it like, I felt like act two in this movie should have been where, where this movie ended, you know, not should have, but that's what I was expecting it to be. Like, I was expecting the, uh, you know, basically in Pulp Fiction where the scene of, uh, uh, you know, the heart, the the needle in the heart scene in Pulp Fiction, like that middle to, you know, towards the middle of the movie, 
it just really ramps into gear. Uh, you know, that in this movie was we're in like a, a an eight minute one shot of Leo acting on a set of trying to get his job. You know, like never I'm talking about the Man- Manson family stuff. I, I just I thought it was going to get crazy a lot earlier. And I think Tarantino had a lot of fun subverting our expectations and making you think that, that you're going to see a movie where the Manson murders get crazy. And here's Quentin Tarantino's crazy violent version of that on film um but a that would have been disrespectful to the people portrayed and b this is a movie about uh you know i guess the characters that he that he made here in that world not necessarily you know this is his rewrite of history just like inglorious was and and uh his his version of of his once upon a time version of, of Hollywood back in the day, if he could have rewritten it would have been something like this. And I find that fascinating, but uh, just at the end of the day, uh, I, I, I thought this was much different than what I, I expected it to be in terms of, uh, I thought, you know, Tarantino's rounding the uh, rounding home of his career, you know, rounding third headed to home. I thought he would just crank this to 14, you know, and just like, dude, it would be mm. absolutely crazy. Uh, Right. Leo would have the flamethrower in, in, you know, in, in hour number one, <laughs> and he would just be going yeah. to town on Charles Manson, you know, like kind of thing. And he gave us a little bit of that, but um, certainly not to the degree that I expected. Did anybody have that feeling? It, it just this was more just like a fun. Let's just watch these guys act and yes. live in this world, yes. and it's just fun to watch movie stars be movie stars again. And that's really it. Uh, you know, it, it was much more. I hate to use this quote, Richard, if I'm going to love letter to Hollywood than I expected it to be. You're it smart, really, dude. It That's really, really bingo. smart. Bingo. You're smart. And yeah. It was much You've, more of an homage you went to film or uh, than Tarantino telling a crazy story. Uh, and, and I appreciated that for a lot of, for a lot of ways. I really enjoyed this movie. I do have, I have qualms with it, but um, it certainly wasn't what I ex- expected going into it um, when I came out of it, if that makes sense. But Richard, do you, did you have any of those similar Similar thoughts, or was it exactly what you thought and expected at the yeah, end? I don't know. You know, I don't. I don't know. It was. It was kind of that he has done that. Jackie Brown never has that explosive moment yeah. in it, really. Um, and it. It. But certainly Django and and um, and and Gloria's there, doing yeah. And it, every and moment, Hateful Eight kind of has all the way through. It's never. You know. So yeah. Everyone always has that kind of moment where. Right. He always he always takes it one one step too far, right? Uh right. Where the movie probably should have ended uh but it doesn't. Uh you know, you mentioned Death Proof earlier, Brian. Uh I I had rewatched that one the other day for the first time probably since we started the show. And there's a moment in that where uh it should end, but then the girls are like, "You know what? Let's go get him. And then they just go mm. chase him down and kill him at the end because it's fun to watch, right? And at the end of Django, it's like it's probably movie should probably end when he gets his wife back, but it's much funner to see him go murder everybody at the end, right? <laughs> it's, the, and Gloria should probably end uh, earlier, but it's funner to see Hitler burn in my history, you know, um, <laughs> that kind of thing. He usually takes it like the Tarantino yeah. level in his mind. It's like this is so much fun. I don't care if it's ridiculous because it's so much fun to watch. He, he he was very, I felt like restrained in that regard in this, Richard. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, he does like swerving you, and and uh, this I think you know who knows what his tenth and final film will be. 
you know, certainly this seems like something Star that Trek, would bro. be. Yeah, I know. It's, <laughs> I hope not. With Shatner, with never Shatner. I would love to see him do sci-fi, but not. Shatner would be awesome if he could pull he's, that He wants off. to do it. He's been all over doing it. But the thing about Shatner that no one remembers is he's like 89 years old. So much <laughs> older than you think. Um, so anyway, uh, it would uh, it would be... It, it, it certainly feels like a culmination of a career and all of his all of his homages and everything all in one. Like what Tarantino loves in the world is like in this movie more than anything. Hopefully, more you know more so than than like slavery and Nazis and stuff. So this is like his his world, right? That he loves. So you feel like this would be the final film, but it is sort of a calm penultimate episode of a. If you look at his career in ten films, if this is the ninth, it is. You know, if the if the tenth is really, you know, wackadoodle, then then we'll know that this was kind of the breath before. So while the subject matter might seem like it's the the final, mm-hmm. um, the the narrative structure maybe is leading into something. I don't know. I, I do think yeah. he thinks about these things. So I, I that's the only reason I bring that up is because I think he he uh, he he thinks about his career in, in terms of of the long game. Yeah, it it felt way more, uh, uh, less, less uh, crazy structure wise than his other movies. I mean, there's flashbacks in it, uh, but it's not to the level where you have to go home and get a, get out a pen and pen and paper and figure out what mm-hmm. the timeline was or anything like that. It's much more down the middle, chronological than his than his other films, and uh, it still f- it was Tarantino in the way that he did have the flashbacks and integrate that stuff into there uh, to define the characters, but without sacrificing the, uh, the plot. I want to pass it on to uh, Ellen and ask you, did you find this digestible at all or, you know, compared to the other Tarantino movies or, you know, when hour two came by, were you like, Oh, this is dragging. I can't, you know, or did it keep your attention the entire, the entire time? Oh no, it definitely kept my attention. Um, I mean, I loved probably all the the aspects. I liked the the Hollywood stuff a lot. Really, really loved Rick Dalton's whole storyline. And I know other people didn't enjoy it as much, but I could have watched him do scenes within a scene. Yes, like all day, same. Um, all day, and then yeah. all day. Um, but I'm also like a really big true crime junkie, so all the Manson girl stuff very much interested me and. Uh, was just like waiting for for all hell to break loose with that um but no i mean it definitely kept my attention the whole time um and everyone was talking about how long it was but i i didn't really feel it Good. same here i had That's no good. problem with the the runtime whatsoever like it's this is one of the we talk about that all the time on here on this show almost every movie you can get on here and be like yeah it was it was great could have used about 20 minutes less of it but it was it was very good this is one of the exceptions. Like I didn't feel I could have gone, I could have added 30 minutes to this and felt okay yeah. with it. It was cause it's just so exquisitely structured to me. Yeah, I could, I could, you know, where, where the movie ends and we'll get to spoilers and stuff here in a minute, but where the movie ends, I, I, I could have used another scene, you know, I, I would have loved to see mm-hmm. where that went after that. And I think that it ends ambiguously there for a reason. Uh, and I, I want to get into some specifics about uh, more about um, this movie. Um, uh, Pacino also 
talking about movie stars, Pacino doing Pacino stuff in this. Well, it, was, <laughs> it was a fun sequence uh, at the, uh, I guess it's a diner or whatever it is. Um, the Playboy Mansion scene was fun. I liked seeing Steve McQueen, Damian Lillard, uh, Damian, uh, what's his name? Uh, Damian Lillard is a is a no. great Steve McQueen. No. As, I've, as I've always said, <laughs> Damian Lewis. No, but he ended as did, did Steve did Steve McQueen have two game winners to end seven game series? Yeah, no. Nope, nope. <laughs> not even but, one, dude. I just about looked the at his basketball record. Not, not, not even one. Halfway there. Jeez, it's, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you combine more. both Steve McQueens, they have zero series winners like that. So that's Damian Lewis. I should, I, 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 <laughs> he uh, that was a fun kind of thing. I, I liked that. Bit of a file scene. What? Bit of a file scene. <laughs> file scene. <laughs> Wasn't that just him just giving them some exposition? I not with files. <laughs> well, I mean, like. Not with real uh, files, yeah, obviously. Uh, yeah, uh, but I was like, he's just you know explaining this character and that character. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah I want to. Yeah. I want to get to that. That's, that's a good uh, transition into the Bruce Lee scene because I've seen some some backlash online. Uh, you know, Bruce Lee's family has issued a statement or whatever it is about how he was portrayed in the movie. Um, I think it's like you said, it's exposition. Bruce Lee was known to be a, the ultimate badass, <laughs> you know, fighting. He was the most respected martial arts actor in the world at the time. He was the only Asian actor basically allowed on TV at the time. Um, he was a hero. And I think Cliff Booth kicking his, his butt in the movie is only there to establish that Cliff Booth was a badass, not to put down <laughs> uh, Bruce Lee, if that makes sense. Um and I think Quentin Tarantino yeah. respects the heck out of Bruce Lee and would never do anything to disrespect that with how much he's been influenced by Bruce Lee. So that's right. how I interpreted that. I didn't see that as let's put down Bruce Lee and show how much of a of a wank right. he was or whatever they <laughs> want to say. But uh, that, that's been put out there. But I, I really enjoyed that sequence. And I thought Mike Moe's performance as Bruce Lee was, was really entertaining. That was, that was my, maybe my favorite sequence in the movie. Um, probably a lot of people's, but I thought that it lived up to the expectations of what it was in the trailer. When you see that, uh, that tease, Brian. No, I totally agree. I, I thought that was, I've also seen the backlash and it, it, that's to me, it's one of those where it's like, I can't put myself in the shoes of the people who are, who are feeling, um, hurt or upset or whatever, mildly offended even by what was happening on there. I, I didn't, I didn't feel that, but I'm not, those people. So I'm not in that their shoes. And that's, that is what it is. I do think it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit odd to get frustrated about the portrayal of him in a movie in which the director writer also, um, changed the fate of Sharon Tate and her, her, her friends, you know? So it's like, this is, I mean, the whole movie is revisionist history, and that's the whole, that's kind of the point, at least of the end. So it's like I don't really feel like I, would, I can get too upset about uh, a fictitious stuntman beating up or besting, I should say, Bruce Lee in a in a kind of comical fight um, when the culmination of this movie is rewriting history to uh, to not let the Manson family. For Kill the sake of entertainment. And, yeah. and so, uh, you know, but again, I am not 
in the shoes of the people who are who feel like they're being uh, attacked or, or or hurt by this or or offended or annoyed or or whatever. So yeah. you know, it's sure. it is what it is. But for me, it was I thought it was really Mike Mo was great. I thought that was a fun scene. It established. I think you're right, Ken. It, it kind of established Clint Clint Booth, right? That's his name. Cliff. Clint Booth's Cliff Booth. Excuse me. Um, his uh, his resume as much as anything else, and it was funny. That was I felt like was the whole point. But uh, yeah, but, throwing yeah, him into the uh, uh, man, Kurt Russell in this too. Gosh, amazing as always. Jeez. Just the best. Just throw Kurt Russell in every movie. Yeah, yeah it, I, it, when it, I went when I watched Death Proof, I was like, dude, Tarantino and Kurt Russell. <laughs> Needs to be everything. Every I know he was in Hateful Eight, but like that yeah. team up is like is legendary. It 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 is yeah. it's more way more understated than like the Tarantino and Samuel L. Jackson or now Tarantino and uh, and DiCaprio. That mm-hmm. that's that. Oh, I hope his final film is just starring Kurt Russell. You know, it's it's Escape from New York. Too or whatever it is, I would love sure. to see his version yeah. of that. Would be, yeah. would be really he's, fun. I've heard he's actually thinking about remaking the new Lion King. <laughs> Good, <laughs> yeah, they, with, but even more realistic, actually, with circus animals. Yeah, right. Um, that was a fun inclusion. Uh, the Great Escape, Brian. Yeah, that was funny. That? that was that was a good bit. I look. This was a. There's a lot of stuff I I, I love a, a lot of this, um, all of it really. But it was fun watching we talked kind of ad nauseum already about tarantino and tarantino isms and whatnot but ellen you mentioned like that's basically a file scene with steve mcqueen when they walk up to the party at the playboy mansion he just puts up on the screen that's who these people are uh the little there's a there's a point at which we just get into straight uh narrator voice a couple times that happens um these various things that no one else, I say no one else, very, very, very few directors could get away with. It's things that, like, if Louis Lettier did that in a movie, we'd be like, I, what are we doing here? Why are we like letting, opening why, it with? Yeah. I'm sitting here with two TV stars. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're a stuntman, see? Yeah. yeah that and, whole and thing. The greatest, yeah. Yes. And The Great Escape is is one of those two where it, it was just, that's such a strange way to go about putting across with what the idea that we're trying to put across, but it worked perfectly and it was fun and it felt so Tarantino-y and I loved it. I thought it was a, a kind of a, a stroke. It's like Richard will, but like when Ellen, I know you're a Spurs fan, so you'll get this. There's, there's <laughs> like five times a year where Greg Popovich does something that we all as basketball community, basketball, Twitter, basketball, whatever say, only Pop can get away with that. There's no other coach in the NBA who could pull that off and still have some uh, – and the ability to, like, face the media afterwards without just getting completely destroyed by everybody that he has to deal with or having his players revolt against him or whatever. And Tarantino is that way too. There's there's a dozen things that happen in this movie where you're like, man, if anyone else did that, it doesn't work. But it does with him because he has kind of set the tone of, like, what to expect from his own movies, even when it's something – sort of outlandish like putting Leonardo DiCaprio's face and words onto uh Steve McQueen's body in the Great Escape. I mean that was that was hilarious. It was a really funny way to do that. So you're saying you're good with using CG to rewrite history? Do you want to give <laughs> sure, us a little force gump review he... or <laughs> This is Tarantino's Forrest Gump. Tarantino's Forrest Gump is yeah. definitely better than Robert Zemeckis's Forrest Gump. Yeah, yeah. no question. <laughs> uh, 
that was fun. What the, the movie ranch uh, stuff was fun too. Um, his interpretation yeah. of that, uh, I really, I really liked. You know, Cliff Booth stumbling his way there. The, uh, I guess it's is it LSD or acid cigarette? Uh, that that was a, a really fun thing to kind of MacGuffin to hold on to when you when he puts it in the cigarette pack and you know it's gonna something's gonna happen later some big you know scene Tarantino always everything always comes together in the end right with yeah. his films uh, it's very I don't I don't, I don't really, what you want to say it uh, it's how movies should be made. But it's very rare nowadays for it's like, wow, everything actually came together in the end. Like all the plot points came together. Like this, that should be the most basic what every movie does. But that's been abandoned for explosions um, so often that, uh, you know, it, it's very rare to see everything come together. But I love his, uh, you know, the fact that uh, Cliff is is his driver, but also his handyman. And, and he's 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 out on an audition. So that's, that's why he, can, he has to go to his house. And then that's where he meets the Manson family. Like all these things, one thing after another really do impact everything. Um, each m moment in the movie does serve a purpose in terms of moving the plot forward. And, um, I really liked, uh, Brad Pitt. I think this movie, like Leah will probably get nominated for this for best you know for best actors cuz it's such a flashy role but i think like history will will go back and they'll remember Brad for for this movie more than any more than any uh anything leo was able to do i just think it's a more subtly iconic role than mm. than the uh uh leo character what did you guys think about that i just i just left thinking about Brad because he took his shirt off and I was just like, wow, this guy, Same. he's so dreamy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, he's a movie star, you know, he's just like those two guys, they walk in and they're just like smoking a cigarette and you're like, all right, cut. That's good. That's it. Right. That's all we need. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. You know, um, those guys are, are great from that regard. But I just thought he understood how to take that character from just a sidekick dude because, like, reading the script, you're like, oh, obviously Leo's the main guy. But, you know, I'll, I'll do Cliff. That'd be fun. Into mm. taking it to something memorable and iconic. Um, I don't yeah, it's a less nuanced character, too. Right. So, in some ways, it's easier. In some ways, I, you could make a case that it's, that's, it's more difficult to make that character pop off screen yeah. the way that he does. That, again, that a movie star can do that most other people probably couldn't. But Leo's got, you're right, like, it's it's flashier but it's leo flashy right like it's not i'm out here desperately trying to win an oscar it's it's uh i'm gonna show you the range that i have because i'm an incredible actor and that character does i mean he's all over the place that there's duality to the character obviously there's the movie within the movie there's the the commercial and the post credit was fantastic there's you know all these various things that go into that role that that leo has to take on whereas brad pitt's just like kind of there to be not brad quite pitt. to be brad pitt but but it's certainly a variation of brad pitt and that's so it's in some ways it's an easier it's an easier part to play but they were both i mean it, like i said earlier this this year has been pretty rough from a movie standpoint just of like 
there's lots of movies that we've seen this year that I've been like, eh, it was okay or whatever. And, and then, and we're, we're certainly not into the performance part of the year where we typically get our, our great actual acting performances and stuff, but that's the two best performances I've seen this year by, by, yeah, a fair, yeah. by a fair yeah. stretch. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I loved the Rick Dalton sizzle reel, like in the middle of the movie, the exposition, he kind of, Here's yeah. where here's where his career went. Here, you know, what Ringo and the Gringo, what was his, the movie he was in or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's it's such a fun period of Hollywood that Tarantino uh, was able to capture not only like in culturally in Hollywood, you know, like cool cars and and the diners and all that, but also what was actually on the screen was was a really fun uh, thing to go back and revisit uh revisit as well. Um Let's uh, go back and kind of talk about what the Man Fam had to say about this movie. I saw a comment on our Twitter at Mad About Movies. Uh, I apologize uh, for who said this, but I do remember somebody saying uh, in their review that this felt like Tarantino's inherent vice, um, and I think what they meant by that was uh, a, a film that is uh, a little bit of a slower burn than what you would expect from this filmmaker. A movie that's carried by its cinematography, uh, its setting, and its performances rather than its plot. Um, and I agree with that, but I like this movie a lot more than Inherent Vice. Uh, it's it's way funner. Um, yeah, it does drag a little bit, but these are characters that I really, really want to hang out with more than just these three hours even. Um, so I'm good with that. Um, Inherent Vice was way more pretentious and into itself than Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, if that's even possible to be more into yourself than Quentin Tarantino. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I guess if you're juxtaposing the filmographies of the two guys, you could compare those two in that regard. But I, I thought this was a much funner experience than that. It, I didn't I didn't have flashbacks to Inherent Vice when I was watching this movie at all. Uh, in other words, this this felt like it felt like Pulp Fiction to me. Without it felt like it was trying to make Pulp Fiction without uh, trying to get so many heads turned his way because the heads are already turned his way. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, sure. It felt like he had to kind of pull out all stops on Pulp Fiction, probably because he might not ever make it if that movie wasn't successful. Um, so it kind he kind of emptied a bucket, so to speak, uh, with that one in terms of just the uh, amount that it's bringing at you. Uh, it's just an all-out assault of uh, style, you know. Uh, this one is much more contained in its style, I feel like. But it's, it's he knows what he's doing. He hit his stride, Brian. I like I like what you were saying earlier, and mm -hmm. he hit your stride for sure. But I feel like he knows. He knows what people like about his movies now, I think. And he's able to make it more for the general public than he ever has or ever was able to do uh, prior to Django. I think Django was his first movie that really everybody, maybe Inglorious too, to a certain extent, but Django was the first one that I felt like was a real, a real like a wide, wide-reaching success uh, culturally uh, in terms of the audience that it was able to reach. And, and, and this one is even, even bigger. So um, what are some uh, stick-out scenes uh, that you guys had for, for Hollywood? There's, there's plenty of them. But I've already mentioned a lot, but uh, 
We haven't even mentioned Margot Robbie at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. It's weird that she kind of gets blown off. There's a lot of great uh, – we'll start with Margot, and then let's talk about – uh, there's a lot of great supporting performances in this as well. Mm. Kind of people just come on for a few minutes and Lena light it Gunham. up. Yeah, your girl. Um, but uh, so, but Margot's, uh, I think, just really effervescent in this, which is cool. It's this really, you think, you know, when you're watching it, knowing the 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 unfortunate real life fate of Tate. That's right. I work for the New York Post. Uh, with my rhyming headlines, but but the actual wh- what's going to happen to her in real life, you think it's this really tragic character because she's so sunny and and thrilled by life and in this great place in her life and everything. And you're going, oh man, this is going to be tough when it hits. But it, you know, it ends up being a little bit different. But uh, but that performance is really kind of a nice. Um, it, it runs along really well with the movie. It, it's like this sunny kind of fun performance from her. I really liked her in this. Uh, it's certainly better than, than, uh, <laughs> Harley Quinn or something, but, but she's, she's, <laughs> she, she was excellent in this. I think, look, you're going against uh, two of the biggest movie stars ever, regardless of, of gender. So like, you know, even if you're, she, I think is well on her way to being this incredible career and she may be on their level in 30 years. And I think we all hope she is, but you know, at this point in her career that it's hard not to get kind of knocked off screen a few times, but she really held her own as well. And uh, I, I really liked, you know, the Pacino part was probably my least favorite random, but I think we're about to have a little Pacino assant. So um, maybe, uh, but uh, I really liked, I liked the scenes with, uh, with, with Pitt and the, the Manson girl, um, mm-hmm. the Margaret Qualley character. Um, I thought those were really cool. Just watching him kind of flirt, but yeah, flirt and be kind of like and mentor flirt and the whole creepy thing. Tarantino walks the line on there certainly because it's definitely an age thing there. Mm-hmm. But those those scenes are just kind of I thought really they they really pop for me. And she's a she's an impressive young actress, so um, she held her own really well as well. So minus the constant uh, zoom ins on her feet, um, <laughs> but you know, take what you can. <laughs> You take the good with the bad, I suppose. Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of the stuff that popped up to me. But Brian, I'm interested in your thoughts on uh, and and Ellen as well on on Margot especially. Yeah, she was she was very good. I expected her to be in the movie more. I I'm kind of the opposite of you, Ellen. I don't I don't. Lo- it's not even the true crime thing. True crime's fine. It's not my personal bag, but it's I'm not. It doesn't bother me by any means. I don't – not do I just not care. I super don't care about the Manson stuff at all. <laughs> like I, I'm 100% out on all Manson-related stuff a, at this point. Brian's a BTK guy. Yeah, just, everyone knows. One or the other, it's a team. Right. Yeah. Having, you can follow my Instagram and you'll see. <laughs> it's, it's all BTK. But for – like I, I genuinely – I think it is so overdone BTK. and played out. And um, both, it's it's a mix on the Instagram. It's it's a mix of those two, uh, but it, it's just the Manson stuff is just so overdone to me, and I'm I'm over it. That was, frankly, I was a little hesitant. But prior to the trailers, I was a little hesitant on this movie as a whole because I'm just like I don't even Quentin Tarantino. I don't care about the Manson stuff anymore. I don't want to delve into this. So that part of the story was the uh, was I. I for sure coming in was like that's going to be the part I don't care about and I hope that the uh I hope that the 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 more Hollywood side of things kind of carries over and and overshadows that stuff and it totally did but I did find myself being 
invested in what was going to happen with that, um, with with Sharon Tate, with with Margot, because Margot Robbie's great, and how that all played out. But I personally, man, I I dug the the Hollywood side of it far more than I did the uh, the Manson Sharon Tate side of things. I just I could I think I could have watched another two or three hours of of Dalton and uh and and old Cliff Cliff, right? Gosh, I keep trying to say Clint. Cliff and and Rick Dalton being buddies and Rick trying to figure out how to act again and get parts and all that. I thought that stuff was just was hilarious, Richard, as you kind of referenced earlier, that's a big part of the success of QT is you you get genuine laughs and comedy out of it but was also very uh it was just very appeal visually appealing and you just want to watch those two guys on screen you just want to watch what they do and so i could have i could have done more and more of that i am perfectly fine with where we drew the line with uh with sharon tate and with the manson side of stuff i thought that was that was about the ratio that that I personally was hoping for, so I thought that went well. What about you, Ellen? Where do you where do you stand on on Margot Robbie and on that the kind of, I guess the the ratio of of Manson to Hollywood sort of stuff? Um, as far as the Margot Robbie stuff goes, um, I guess kind of a hot take. I don't. I mean, I I thought the one scene that she did have was really nice um, of her in the movie theater. Um, I really enjoyed, I did, I did really enjoy her, you know, sitting there and just that, that joy. And I know that he had spoken about how, like, she was kind of this angelic figure that kind of pushes you through the movie. Um, and I definitely got that from her. Um, but I was very like aware of the fact that we weren't hearing a single line from her. And I know that he's pushed back on people asking him about that. Um, but we didn't really hear from her until halfway through. And there were a few close-ups of her body for apparently no reason at all that were kind of bothered me. Um, and I kind of find my, found myself... Her feet? Yeah, well, obviously. But um, no, I meant other stuff, too. Like the scene of her laying in the bed. And, uh, you know, mm. there was a few of just her behind that didn't need to be I don't know but like I find myself kind of subconsciously tallying up all the needless like close-ups of women's rears for no reason at all um that and and but that aside I just tried to kind of push that aside because I was like you know Tarantino's a weird guy we're just gonna try to you know enjoy the movie (laughs) um but I, uh, as far as like the Manson stuff goes, I really, I did think the ratio was kind of right on had it been too much, any more of it would have been too much. Um, Mm. and, uh, I really enjoyed seeing Brad Pitt kind of walk through that scene at Spawn Ranch. Um, I, uh, he is very, very charming, obviously. And like, I like watching him play this this type of role it was really really great but i don't know if he's a great actor or if he's perfected a note that he's just kind of like it's it always just seems like a variation of uh of himself or his sure. character from um from oceans if that makes yeah. sense yeah no i yeah i think and you, I he's think really right. yeah he's really great at putting his hand on his hips and uh kind of doing that um 
this the scene with him and Dakota Fanning. I've never considered her to be a very good actor, so that was kind of rough for me. Um, but I mean, to each their own. I don't know how y'all feel about that. Um, but I will say, Ken Stein back... tattoo says otherwise. But you can. <laughs> <laughs> um, going back to a scene that really stood Let's out call for it me. South Dakota. It's <laughs> the name of the tattoo. <laughs> But no, I uh, going back to a scene that really stood out for me that I thought was just really great was that that short but really really great scene of uh, Leo and um, what's her name that little girl when he's telling the easy breezy story. Yeah, loved that. Mm-hmm. That was that was maybe my favorite scene. It's <laughs> um, a great scene. Yeah, it's yeah. a great scene, and just that that whole bit. Just yeah. I loved it. I'll watch him on set all day. That was the first, and I, I, I may be wrong. I've watched probably about half of QT's movie over the last week or so, but I can't remember him ever using a child actor before, and we're probably better off for that. But that was, <laughs> I mean, no child needs to be subjected to this. He's talking but... to him, though. It'd be funny, though, if all of his references like, okay, so you watch Good Times, right? <laughs> okay, so. And they're like, no, I'm six. And they're like, right. I was born right. in 2013. Yeah, the office like, okay, is so... too old for me. I'm going to give exactly. you a 35 millimeter print. Of... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's this episode, right, of Designing Women in 1992, okay? And Delta Burt, and they're just like, uh. <laughs> Can I just walk over here? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> seriously. But it did make that scene, Ellen, to your point, like it made me think, like, gosh, what could this guy do with, with a child? Like, is if he, I mean, obviously this this girl is a very talented child actor, but you just think about like all the movies that are ruined by child actors and directors who don't really know how to work with a six-year-old, you know? And then suddenly QT's like, no, I got a great performance out of this random child. It's just, yeah. it it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, he's, if you guys, I'm going to talk about it later on in the weekly recommends, but if you guys listen to that podcast with him that the ringer and Amy Nicholson are doing, no. so it's like uh-huh. called Quentin Tarantino presents and it's like Quentin Tar- and it's him. It's three episodes only. And it's just like him going through five movies that were like influential. And he's, I mean, obviously really interesting to talk about all that stuff. He talks about when he became a director. He's like, I'd wanted, I was so nervous doing Reservoir Dogs because I had like, um, I thought about, I thought about this, Brian. It's funny you bring up the kid actor mm-hmm. thing. And he said, because uh, I didn't know if I could direct. I, I knew I knew how to, you know, I knew I knew a lot about movies, but I didn't know if I got in the room with an actor or actors, if I would know how to do it, if I would know how to be a leader in that sense, right, and get these performances mm-hmm. out of them. Mm-hmm. He's like, and then I did it, and I was really good at it. Like, right away, I was like, okay, I know how to do that. Then I was confident on that. And then I didn't know how I would have to be on the set reading, lead, you know, leading these big groups of people. Then I knew how to do that. I, I was thinking about that watching this. I was like, and I didn't know if I'd know how to direct a kid. And it's like, oh, <laughs> turns out I have that skill as well. I mean, he has right, all these right. tools that he can just pull out. It's crazy. He's like a savant of filmmaking. He really is. It's amazing. He really is. Uh, he is one of the few people who has probably won the Palm d'Or who had no film school experience, um, basically dropped out of like middle school. Yeah. Taught him, you know, basically learned how to make movies by watching movies and that's it. And, and wrote true romance and, and wrote reservoir dogs and got that made. And then obviously Pulp Fiction was his breakout. But I mean, this was, he was essentially an amateur, like you said, filmmaker, um, just doing what he loved doing and, and what he had passionate about. And his passion is so evident in this movie 
that he just likes making movies. He likes making characters. You know, he like he he said that all of his movies are basically a novel that he condenses down into a movie. You know, right? Um, right. This one actually felt like he had a novel of stuff on these characters that he he had built this world, this alternate timeline. Really felt genuine. I would love to read that novel. I would love to, for him to totally. publish the full un, uncut versions of his screenplays. I think that would be fascinating. Um, I, I think he and he has knows the total backstory of all of them. You know, like a character yeah. Bible thing. And I love how he talks about them with like they exist too. Like, yeah, like they're actually. Oh no, people. he wouldn't do that. Yeah. It's almost like the better version of the George Lucas thing. But he talked about I think with Inglorious that he was like, yeah, obviously Hitler didn't die in a movie theater. And the war wasn't won that day, but if Aldo Rain had existed, <laughs> then yeah. that is what would have happened. Right. And that's right. what writing this movie is. So if you insert these characters, it's almost like his job is just to think of the characters and drop them into the world. Um, and then the whole thing can change. I think that's how he writes. It's like, yeah, Sharon Tate was horribly murdered by the Manson family, but if Cliff and Rick had existed, you know, this whole sequence of events would have happened and it would have been differently. And so all I have to do is create them and then the rest will take us down that road. I always think that's really interesting. Yeah. I want to talk about the ending as we wrap things up here um, before we, uh, before we give grades and all that. Um, I got to tell you, this was a sold out screening for me, a, lot, a very respectful screening. I didn't see it at draft house or anything like that, but I did see it at uh, in a 35 millimeter. Um, when, when Rick Dalton pulls out the flamethrower at the, in the last scene, like oh audible gosh. cheers, like <laughs> when you know what's about to happen, you know, that was one of the better setups in cinema history. I'm not even kidding you. Like that I've experienced in a theater, like just to have that moment at the end and he does it and then, you know, gets to go walk over to Sharon Tate's house who, you know, he's his whole goal. This whole movie has been to get the attention of her and Polanski so that his career won't die, you know, um, it's great. Yeah, it was a great moment. Um, how did you guys feel about the ending? Uh, Brian? Yeah, I thought it was... Uh, I when I told my wife before we went to see it, I was like, look, here's what I think this is going to be like and tried to kind of explain the, the Tarantino... I don't know, the the way, the Tarantino way of doing things. And I just said, I think, I think it's going to be... It's, I know it's going to be hilarious. I think it's going to be very, obviously very well written. You're going to love the acting. And then it's going to be extremely violent for 10 minutes. That's what I told her what I thought was going to happen. And that was, I, I feel like I was spot on with that. Not to say, I'm, I mean, that's not a unique take by any means. Or like some like, wow, I really got it right. It just seemed like that's that's what we're headed towards. Um, I, I'll be honest, I felt, and, and I'm curious to hear y'all's thoughts as well, but I was surprised by the twist if you even want to call it a twist of, of them showing up to Rick Dalton's house and getting violently, horribly murdered instead of going on to murder. I don't know. Like as it was happening, I was like, Oh yeah, I should have seen this coming because of inglorious bastards. I'm stupid for not, for not seeing that, but it wasn't, it wasn't quite what I expected when it got into it. You know, that's always the part of the Tarantino thing that I'm not super into. I don't like hyperviolence and, uh, gore played for laughs and all that sort of thing. It was one of the few times that, uh, yeah, it was over the top and absurd and and too much and not not my thing. But it did fit the right, at least it it had kind of the right tone to match with with the rest of the movie. And when he goes to get the flamethrower, I was I mean I was just 
cackling almost. It was it was such a. It's not just the oh he's going to get a flame. It's it the way that 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 Terry. I mean he he should be an Oscar contender just for that. Like the, the like walk he, to yeah. the shed to get yeah. the flamethrower. Like he's, like he's got his martini or whatever. Yes. He's like, oh he's my like gosh. So nonchalant was, about it. It was yeah, magnificent. And having the lead up to that be uh, the bit you you mentioned, Kent, with with the acid dipped cigarette to have. Brad Pitt just high as a kite and trying to figure out what's real and what's not. And, and, uh, what's your name? Rex? No, something stupider than that was a really <laughs> fun, just the whole text. That's it. Just was very, very funny. And, and, and done again, I, as the, the person on the show more than I think either of you or Richard or Kent is, I don't care for that kind of that style. I don't like hyper violence and all that stuff. I thought it was kind of, uh, perfect for what the movie was, and then to have that transition directly into, yeah, I'll come over and talk to Sharon Tate. Sure, I've been trying to work this the whole time. Yeah, it was hilarious and was done so well. And it was both of those actors just um doing the things that they are so great. You're right, Ellen. Like Brad Pitt doesn't probably doesn't have as much range as Leo does, and he always is kind of playing himself, but himself in that scene especially was really oh fun. And and then DiCaprio just ah, was magnificent as well in that. So, I uh, look, I loved it. I, I'm curious, did... I'll pass it off to somebody. Did was were you Ellen? Let's start with you. Were you expecting that? Did you see the? Were you expecting the the kind of shift from into alternative history or not? And and how'd you feel about the ending as as a whole? Um, I'm right there with you. I wasn't, and then when it was happening, I was like, I should have seen this coming. Um, mm. so, but I, I wrote down Brad Finger Guns. Great. <laughs> <laughs> in the theater i was like this that's it <laughs> like that moment um <laughs> that whole interaction with him and uh tex was, was very very funny to me um but yeah i also am kind of not super into the hyper violence but i think the fact that we got him high before it mm. made it okay to me and very funny um so, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, it whatever. was more campy than it normally would have been if he just went yeah. and murdered people. He was like, he probably thought he was in a dream part of the time, you know, he was hallucinating, mm-hmm. killing these guys, killing pigs or whatever he liked to call it. Or, <laughs> uh, it's like, I am the devil here to do the devil's work. Yeah. He's like, no, something dumber than that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, well, I think it's time to to round about uh this conversation and get grades um but i'm sure we'll discuss this later in the year uh towards the end when award season comes comes around we'll have some time to digest it probably watch it again and all that i'm definitely looking forward to watching this one again and there's a lot i missed i'm sure and uh those that's what's great about his movies is fun to back go back and rewatch um and find something new every single time so i'm gonna grade this one out um yeah, this one's tough. I don't I don't know what I've given the other Tarantino movies in terms of the grade scale, but um I'm gonna give this an A. I had an A minus in my mind coming into this, but I think it's so rewatchable and it's gonna have a great rewatchability factor yeah, because of the because of the two time. leads. Um big time, yeah. Um and so and it looks great. Um I think technically this is probably his 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 uh, best film, and maybe maybe Hateful Eight, 
would take the cake because it's more you know, landscape photography and 70 millimeter and the whole deal. But I thought this looked, looked great. Attention to detail was great. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so solid, solid movie for me. Not quite an A plus. Uh, I think it could, could have, could have been a little bit sharper in the dialogue in some areas. It could have been a little bit edgier, um, in some areas and it, and it might've, might've eclipsed uh, the A for me. Uh, maybe a little bit tighter too, maybe about two hours and 15 instead of two hours 40. Um, but, uh, but I really, really enjoyed this movie. So it's, it's, it's an A for me. Easy A. Uh, what about you, Richard? A plus for me. It's my favorite movie of the year so far. Really enjoyed it, and uh, can't wait to watch it probably twenty five more times in my life. So yeah, so I I uh, you know I enjoy his aesthetic for whatever reason. It it clicks with me, and this was was no no different. So yeah, A plus for me, Brian. Yeah, A plus for me as well. Top certainly top three of the year. I'd probably put this no lower than fourth on Tarantino's personal filmography and and perhaps higher i'm i'm gonna rewatch. we're we're gonna do pulp fiction and the vip in september and i'm waiting to rewatch that to kind of completely solidify where where i'm at with uh with his filmography but uh yeah it and it's more than any i love inglorious bastards i don't rewatch that movie this is the first for me this is gonna be the first tarantino movie that is uh super rewatchable i i feel like i can put this one on uh, 50 more times and I'm, I'm still going to be digging it. So that, that doesn't, that certainly doesn't hurt in my eyes. So, uh, yeah, that's, it's very, very, I'm very, very high on this one and enjoyed pretty much every frame that wasn't somebody's face getting bashed into a, uh, fireplace, but, uh, the rest of it was all, all fantastic. Ellen, what about you? Um, a little bit lower than you guys. Uh, I mean, I don't really want to harp on it because it's not really a fun thing to talk about. But there were a few things, I guess, maybe because I'm a female audience member that sure. were kind of gross to me. Um, I know that you enjoyed that scene with uh, Brad driving Margaret Qualley. I found it really gross. Um, but I uh, and that, you know, just various things throughout, like, you know, camera angles and things that just were unnecessary. and the fact that Margaret Robbie doesn't really do anything in the movie, um, but she was front and center of the marketing, so it felt kind of icky on that front, too. Um, it's a B-plus for me, but I really, really did enjoy Leo's performance, like, so much. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised Tarantino's letting people drive around in cars, too. It looked like Brad Pitt was driving this car, like, full speed through the neighborhood at that one, I know, that one sequence. They, like... And he almost killed Uma Thurman by making her do that in, in Kill Bill. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They closed down like all of 10 for that shot. So crazy. That's a, that was a, that was a crazy shot of him driving. Yeah. Driving on the, on the highway and there's like seven cars in the highway. It's your point, Richard, of like, this is LA before it was so congested. Um, there's evidence of that. Uh, totally. In that scene. Seems um, awesome that way. Yeah, it's fun. I think people are LA listeners would agree. It probably seems pretty sweet. That's the biggest fantasy of the film. It's like Sharon Tate living. Okay, that I can believe. But <laughs> seven cars on the four hundred five GTFO. Yeah, exactly. Okay, um, that does it for this review. Once upon a time in Hollywood. We're uh, returning next week on the main feed with uh, Hobbs and Shaw. I think is the uh, movie of the week. Next week. So that'll be our main feed episode. I'm not sure we'll have movie news next week unless 
movie news calls for that. Um, but join us in the VIP if you want to hear our Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix review. That'll be posted uh, in just a few days, probably the end of this week, uh, in the VIP feed. So stay tuned for that. Um, but Brian, where can we find you online? You can find me on the Twitter, bgill 12 You can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com and the Mad About Movies Podcast newsletter. Richard, where can we find you? You can find me on all the social at Richard Barden, the Mad About Movies Podcast website and or newsletter letter as well. Kent, what about you, my friend? Find me online on the Twitter at Kent Garrison. Um, Ellen, uh, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ellen Tudus. That's T-O-U-D-O-U-Z-E. Um, and Instagram at Ellen Toodles. And for those of you in the uh, Dallas area, I am a pet sitter on Rover. So you can find me on there because nice. I'm getting married and it's very expensive. So. <laughs> congratulations, Ellen. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I might take you up on that sometime. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, if you want somebody trustworthy to watch your pet in Dallas, we we endorse Ellen to do that. So yes. there you go, five stars. There you go. Um, awesome. Well, uh, you can find all of our episodes at madaboutmoviespodcast dot com. Only our most recent ones are on the uh, on the podcast feed. So if, if you're thinking about a movie that's a little bit older, um, just use our website and search for it. We we probably have an episode on it in the past six seven years or so. Um, Thanks again to the VIPs uh, for joining us, and we'll see you momentarily in the VIP club. But until next week, we'll see you at the cinema. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling, tossed salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Again, scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya ya. The salad is scrambled eggs. They're calling again. <laughs>